0: Hello out there, all you energetic earthworms. Thanks for joining us for another week of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I am joined by the wonderful Kristen. I don't want to call you a guest because you're sort of a, I don't know. You're just, you're just a co-host, my wonderful co-host Kristen, who's filling in for regular co-host Casey. So first of all, hi,
1: Kristen. Welcome. Good to see you again. Good to see you. I'm glad to be back. I don't know what to call me either. Temporary host? I feel like... I don't know. I We need to brainstorm
0: some words. Yeah, anyway, we'll think of something. We're glad to have you. But Kristen is here filling in for Casey, who, if you're a regular listener, that's the voice that you're used to hearing. And I do just want to say... It's been a couple weeks now, but if you've been listening, you know that Casey is out right now, basically on maternity leave. And so we do just want to officially confirm that they are a family of three now. So congrats to Casey and Andrew. They did have their baby. Everybody is doing well. And so we're very happy for them. Happy for them enjoying their time as a family of three. It is Father's Day when we're recording this. So happy first Father's Day to Andrew as well. Yay. Happy Father's Day, Andrew. All right, uh, Kristen, I have like nothing. I've been so bad this week. I don't have anything nature y to update anybody on. I've been really bad about even getting my nature time in. So I've got nothing. Do you have any
1: nature y news or updates before we jump in today? Not anything crazy. I mean, uh, we're outside more. I have a young daughter and she loves to be outside. So we have been spending more time outside. She's a little fish, so she swims a lot. So we are thankful to have a pool in our neighborhood. So we have been spending more time outside. Have you
0: been gardening at all?
1: I have. So I... Actually, put in some raised beds uh, last year, and I just went big and did like the metal beds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a bit of an upfront cost, but I'm hoping they'll last me a while. And so my garden is doing pretty well. I should send pictures and you yeah, can post you if you'd like. But yeah. yes, we are growing kind of a lot this year. We've got a whole bed of corn because my daughter is obsessed with sweet corn. And then our other bed has a couple types of tomatoes, a couple types of bell peppers carrots, and uh, lemongrass. And then we have our bed of strawberries that come back every year, thankfully. Yeah, so fun. got that's a lot so going cool. on in the garden.
0: My goodness, I'm slacking. I got it. <laughs> no, <me>. you're not. <laughs> so, <together> I am. <laughs> but that's awesome. All right, Kristen, I'm very excited about today's topic and I appreciate you doing this. We talked about in your sort of first episode as co-host with us a couple weeks ago we intro that you work in local conservation and you're going to talk to us a little bit about what you do and sort of what your organization as a whole does today we'll get into that in a little bit but to get us started with our our intro today I would love to hear just a little bit more in brief about your background we talked about kind of your background and different things that you've done. You sort of have an animal background. When did you really get into the conservation side of things?
1: So I actually, to prepare for this intro, I went back and listened to just part of the cheetah conservation episode because I introed myself there and I, I wanted to not overlap too much. But I've always loved animals. But as far as wildlife conservation, I probably didn't get into that until I was an undergrad. And I first really was kind of um, shown that side of of science when I heard Lori Marker speak. And that's mm-hmm. the the founder of the Jeter Conservation Fund. So she came to Purdue where I went to undergrad and um, spoke and my eyes were just blown wide open. And I did a couple internships in zoos and things like that. So the wildlife conservation side of things, um, it was really in college, but as far as um, like conservation as a whole, I really didn't get into it until I started my master's degree and I took some time in between those degrees and we had an assignment that kind of sparked everything and the assignment was take one small thing and change it in your life to to benefit, to really make your world a little greener. <laughs> and my choice was to swap out paper napkins for cloth napkins. And then after that, it just kind of snowballed. And I learned more and more when I was getting my master's degree. And I made more and more tiny little changes. And after that, I mean, it was kind of cheesy, but I kind of saw the world through a conservation-minded lens after that. And it's, it's kind of once you see, you can't go back. And so I just made more and more changes and knew I wanted to stay in that field somewhat.
0: That's awesome. And yeah, I don't think it's, I mean, that's what we're all about here, right? That's what the podcast is sort of focused on. Casey and I will talk all the time about how these little things, not only is it can they snowball into more and more things like you were talking about? So it it can be the start of a personal growth for you. It makes a difference when we get more people doing all of these behaviors together. I, I mean, I, I I think that's really important. It can't be overstated how these small changes, well, no in and of itself switching to clock napkins isn't going to save the world. But that's your your way in and that's step one and you know if we do that all together then you know we're really changing the way resources are used and all of that and then it's going to lead to caring more and getting more involved on on bigger levels and things like that too so I love that and I feel like you and I are similar in that we started out as it's just sort of a we love animals and being outside is cool and then it didn't really blossom into truly thinking about conservation and understanding conservation better until later in life. So for me too, it wasn't until I did an internship when I was an undergrad that was sort of the spark for me, but I don't think it really took hold until after I left school and got back into education as a career and then through being part of that education, it started to force me to look at myself and my own actions and also to learn a little bit more about the bigger issues. And so I'm I'm grateful for that. I do feel like I came to it a little bit later in life i get jealous when casey talks about the classes she took and stuff like that because i'm like man i wish i just wish i had some of that that knowledge so i do feel like i'm in this place sort of where yeah i can talk about global issues like we'll talk about uh sustainable seafood or plastic pollution or whatever and i can talk about that and i can talk about the small personal changes that i i make but i do still feel like i have a lot to learn in terms of like Ecology and natural resource management, and really what local conservation looks like at the community level, where I live. Like I just really feel like this is sort of a big blank spot for me, and that's really kind of what you're doing. So I'm really excited to uh, talk about this tonight and and have this discussion with you.
1: Yes, I'm excited as well. And in response to to kind of that thread you just started. Um, This is something I may say more than once as we record today is when you know better, you do better. And Mm -hmm. that is what I tell people all the time. And I tell some of my customers and things because I hear similar statements. It's just like, I can't believe I didn't know about this. I didn't know the resources that were there. I didn't know, you know, what invasive species were. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I had to, you know, care for my soil, all these things. But you don't know what you don't know. Um, And so you just learn from others and and do the best that you can, you know, to be more sustainable. Yeah.
0: All right. And so hopefully through the discussion tonight, you all listening will perhaps learn something that you didn't know that you had in terms of local resources or understand a little bit more how that works. So stick around. Kristen's going to uh, talk us through some some things about the soil and water conservation districts and local conservation in general when we come back. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode. We're going to get right into it and chat about some local conservation things. So, Kristen, again, for people who might be new, might have missed your previous episodes, you want to get into it. Tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing, and then I'm going to pick your brain a little bit about some things.
1: Sounds good. So, I currently work at a soil and water conservation district. And before we really Get into the meat and potatoes. I will disclaimer that I'll talk in general about conservation districts in the United States, but I would love if there's any international listeners to let us know what local conservation looks like wherever you're from, because it even varies quite a bit uh, within the United States. So I can only imagine um, that there's quite a bit of, of change depending on where you live if you're mm-hmm. in a different country. So that's my little disclaimer there. So here, I, I live in Indiana and, and, and here in Indiana, they're called soil and water conservation districts. Other places throughout the, the country sometimes just call them conservation districts. So that varies a little bit. They've been around for, for quite a long time and I didn't really know that they existed before working for one <laughs> <laughs> did you lead with that in the interview or no, just <laughs> i i did not i mean i do i do remember them asking like are you familiar and i said no <laughs> <laughs> so uh i read the job description and it sounded interesting and and you know here we are but um i didn't really know that they were a thing. And in Indiana, uh, we have 92 counties and we have a soil and water conservation district in each one of those. And so there's quite a few uh, of us around and and there are quite a few other states that have, you know, one in every county as well. Uh, The one I work with has been around, I think we were established in 1940. So it's been around for quite a long time. In general, conservation districts in the past, there wasn't really a quote-unquote priority, a need for conservation in the mind of a lot of people. So way back in the 30s and 40s, there was a Great Depression in the 30s, of course. And at the same time, um, something occurred called the Dust Bowl, which... If you go back to your history books, a lot of people may have learned about, mm-hmm. but looking back on, you know, what we were using our land for, I mean, there was still a lot of farming back then, and if you're looking at like the Great Plains in the United States, the soil was was very fertile. It was they were very successful farms, but there was also a lot of very intense plowing of the fields. So they're stirring up that soil a lot more than, you know, is Needed, and then you combine that with some severe drought, and that creates well dust. So, <laughs> so that's why it was called the Dust Bowl. But so these the soil was very productive, but because of the the drought and because of all the heavy tilling, it just kind of blew away all that really really fertile soil that was on the top layer. So if I refer to topsoil, it's it's that top chunk of of, of soil, and that's really what you're using to farm. That's the really fertile part that you need in order to be successful. And so President Roosevelt saw that this was happening. Congress enacted um, a a couple different acts. Soil Conservation Act was in 1935. Um, There was another act two years later. Um, And this all caused the creation of the Soil Conservation Service. So So this was a branch of government And if that doesn't sound familiar, it's because it's not called that anymore. (laughs) It is now called the Natural Resources Conservation Service or NRCS. Mm -hmm. Another thing that should be known about my line of work is we work in a lot of acronyms. So (laughs) there's a lot of different organizations (laughs) and a lot of different acronyms. So I will try really hard to kind of spell them all out. Uh, But that's kind of why these districts were created is because we physically could see the topsoil flying away.
0: You know what is so interesting to me about that? And I granted, I have a terrible memory and the sort of history, social studies side of things was never my top interest. But I remember obviously learning about the Dust Bowl. I don't ever remember it really being presented as an ecological issue. I remember them presenting it more as this is a thing that happened and here's all the results from it. I don't remember ever thinking about it in an environmental way. So already, you know, this is changing my perspective a little bit on things that this is this is how this branch of government got started. So you are these soil and water conservation districts are like a a local branch of the natural resources conservation services, correct?
1: Uh, it kind of depends for the most part. Not all, but a lot are county government employees and that NRCS uh, is a federal branch of the government. But we do work side by side quite often and and we share a lot of projects and things. So um, not always, but I would say a lot of the time your soil and water conservation district will be a a branch of your county government. But that's not always the case. There are some that are independent in their own entities. It just kind of depends on where you live. Got it. So you've
0: covered a lot of this already, but just to sort of reiterate, So this looks different from state to state. Can you talk a little bit more about i I looked up a little bit about how this works in Florida. So can you talk a little bit about what this sort of structure looks like for you?
1: Yes, yeah, so it it definitely varies state to state. Like I mentioned, there's over ninety counties in Indiana. Generally, each of those counties, they're going to have a five-person board. This is just for Indiana, that are kind of the ones navigating the district. So they are setting priorities. What are the biggest needs in natural resource conservation for that county? So they're the kind of the leaders. And then on top of that five-person board, you usually have at least one employee. And that varies quite a bit Um depending on where you're at. Um, If you have like a county with a high population, you're probably gonna have more staff in that office. I know, um, I think there might be a couple counties that just have that board, but most do have staff. A lot of times it's just one or two people. I do know some counties that have five or six, so it, it just really depends. And some of the other Midwestern states are are kind of structured in a similar way that most of the counties have their own district, but there are some that share. So if there's a, you know, low population density, there might be a couple counties that band together and just have one office type of thing. So it just kind of depends on on where you're at and what the greatest need is based on your population.
0: And how is the board formed?
1: So in it, this also varies, but in Indiana... There's, there's five people on the board. Three are elected during public meetings, and two are appointed by the Indiana State Soil Conservation Board, which is a board of folks um, that help manage some state funds that come down and are distributed through the different counties. Um, and that's just kind of how Indiana is structured. But I know um, how board members are obtained, if they're elected and and what have you, that does vary state to state and you know like what the qualifications are. In Indiana, it's pretty lax. First is gaining interest. Um, this is not something that's on the the ballot. and so you do have to kind of scope out the community and, and see who are your people that are interested in conservation and, and see if they're willing to, to volunteer. For some folks, it is a volunteer position and then there's some counties that do pay a very, very tiny stipend per meeting. So I, I know it's kind of more competitive in other states, and then some counties are more competitive than others. And then there's some counties that can't find board members. So right. it just kind of depends.
0: So I, in preparation, decided to learn a little bit about Florida's soil and water conservation districts, which are also called by the same name here, which I know varies as well. And it turns out there's been a little drama oh, here as well. do tell. Because of some of those things. So we, it sounds like it's similar to Indiana in mm-hmm. that they have – it's a five-person board for each district. I think all five of them, though, are publicly elected. I don't mm. know the process about it. But I guess a law just got passed – at the end of last year, I think, that now requires all of those board members to be currently involved, like working in agriculture or mm. be retired with at least 10 years of experience in agriculture. Mm. And some people are very upset about this because agriculture is not the only issue <laughs> that mm-hmm. we need to be dealing with. So they feel like it's, it's effectively really limited the number of people that are eligible for these positions and so there's some counties that now don't can't fill their seats because board members are no longer qualified and there wasn't enough interest to fill the other seats so that's part of it and then they also feel like there's not going to be enough voices with different perspectives speaking up for different issues so that was really interesting but also really sad for me that all of that was happening and I was pretty unaware of it too so I think I'm again I'm glad we're doing this because it's it's helping me be a little more aware of what's going on mm-hmm. in my own local conservation but it does sound like the general setup of the districts here are the same I know we don't have a district in every county I looked that up and there's not as many districts as there are counties in Florida but I, I do know that my county does
1: cool Well, that's really interesting that they're kind of restricting their board members to uh, those in the agriculture field. It would be interesting if you require just like one or two so you can have that. Guaranteed um,
0: experience.
1: Guaranteed experience. And also you have that guaranteed viewpoint. Right. Uh, But you do kind of limit yourself On only representing part of the population that way.
0: Right. Which I do want to get into that a little more as we go along here, that sort of agricultural piece. So we'll talk about that. But let's talk a little bit about, because this may be a very new topic for a lot of people listening to, and it is still something that I'm trying to to wrap my head around, which is, what is it exactly that you would say that... These conservation districts. What 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 does your office do? What is the general role? That sounds like such a dumb question. What is it you actually do? Uh, but I'm just I'm curious. Do you have? Are there people out there doing field work, like research? Are you doing education and outreach? Are you responding to community concerns? Or what is what is the day to day?
1: Yes, all of those things. Excellent. So it it varies. <laughs> I'm going to say this 14 times. It, it varies greatly on location. And like I said, the the board of directors kind of navigates what the priorities are, and the county that I work on is a, a pretty heavily agriculture-focused county, Okay, um, and so we have kind of a, a strategic plan, and that sets out what the priorities are for the next, you know, five years, what we should be focusing on. So our office specifically does a lot of education and outreach, and that's doing Different educational sessions in person. Um, we'll teach folks about IDing invasive species, but we'll okay. also teach folks about water quality and why that's important. We'll teach folks uh, the benefits of planting with native plants and how you can benefit your backyard garden with cover crops. Like it varies quite a bit. And are um, these on like our audience?
0: Are these like? Sorry to interrupt, but like. Are, are you are you going out to planned events are you going to community meetings or like where does this happen
1: both of those as well yep so we we have a a calendar of events just our office personally we have a calendar of events uh things that we like to do year to year that are the same but we also vary based on you know the need at the moment so We're fortunate enough to be in close proximity to a university. And so we can partner with them um, if they have speakers come in and and things like that. Um, But we also have people just walk in the door and they say, I can't grow my tomatoes. What's wrong? Okay. so phone calls, people walking in, people sending emails. Um, So we do, you know, scheduled education events. On the fly, when people come in, we also offer site visits. So if someone is having problems, lately it's been a lot of invasive species work. If someone's having problems and their, you know, woodlands is being invaded, but they don't know what they have or how to manage it, we can go out and and do site visits. And all of this is free of charge. Um, This is just services we provide since we are county government employees, uh, services that we offer the, the citizens of the county. So it's a little of this and a little of that. It seems like a lot because it is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but the overarching goal is to preserve natural resources in our county for the next generation. And those natural resources can be water, soil, wildlife. Um, it It varies quite a bit. So it can be overwhelming at times. But since we have that strategic plan, it definitely narrows down what we should be focusing on, Mm -hmm. because there are lots of aspects of conservation that need our attention as just looking back through your catalog of all your episodes. So there's lots of things that you can focus on, but um, we do have priorities based on what's the biggest need um, and how best to serve the people in our area. So a little of everything. I don't know if that answers your question because I just said yes to everything. (laughs) (laughs)
0: No, well, that does answer my question though. It is I think maybe part of the reason why in my brain it's so hard to pin down what you do, it's because you can't really pin it down. It really is pretty wide ranging and dependent on where you live, which I'm sure that my next two questions also really depend on where you live based on what you were just saying about sort of having a strategic plan and, you know, knowing the needs of your area So I will say for me, and especially given what I was just talking about with the Florida SWCDs now actually very obviously targeting agriculture, I do tend to think of these things as being largely agriculturally focused, which I know you mentioned in your area it is, which makes sense. I'm curious whether you think, A, that 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 is a legitimate thought or not, but also then perhaps more importantly, what about for people like me who are homeowners in a urban suburban area? How would you suggest or think that somebody like me might utilize my conservation district? Like, is this an important resource for me still?
1: I think that's a very common viewpoint. And historically, it's correct. If you think about our little discussion on, on the history. I mean, it was brought about because of agriculture right? and there's still issues surrounding agriculture and, and conservation for sure.
0: Which are important to all of us. I don't mean to imply that that's not because obviously whether or not I'm involved in it, I'm, I'm eating the results of it. So it is important yeah. for everybody.
1: Yes. But um there are plenty of districts that do offer resources for more urban citizens, and that's something that our county have just recently kind of started is is to being able to provide those resources. Because if you have a farmer that comes in and he has two thousand acres and he's having problems with X, Y, Z, you handle that much differently than someone coming in saying, "I have." Two raised beds, and I can't grow (laughs) cucumbers. So (laughs) right,
0: which I mean, that would be that's going to be my question here in the next six months. That's going to be me.
1: Yes, and so uh, we have just recently started providing more resources to urban folks, and and that came along with a new staff member that we hired. So we do have a few. That's towns, (laughs) yes, a few towns in our in our county that are you know, more heavily populated. So uh, we do have folks that are, you know, having issues in their garden. They want to know, you know, should they be fertilizing their lawn? You know, what plants do they have? A lot of our invasive species came from landscaping. And so they want to know, you know, why aren't my wildflowers growing and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, yep, we've just recently started adding more events we've added things like native plant sales. We've added some resources on forestry because we have some woodland owners that have had, you know, some issues. Um, And then we do partner with a lot of local organizations uh, that help as well. So if we don't have the answer, we can definitely provide them with a contact that can. And we'll talk a little bit later, I'm sure, about all those different organizations. But, you know, something that, you know, no matter if you have two thousand acres or you have two raised beds, there's some things that are the same. Those those folks sure. still could, you know, test their soil, for example, to see if they have healthy soil. You know, they those folks still may be using fertilizers. It's just uh, kind of different types depending on on the size of your your property. Or maybe you live in an apartment and you've got a couple pots on on your patio, and you want to help grow some things so we've really tried to branch out to be a resource to all citizens of our area because I think that's very important we've got um, a knowledge base we've got staff that are dedicated to the citizens of the county and we want to make sure we provide the resources that they need I
0: love it so let's continue down that vein real quick of people being involved what what is something that you sort of wish that people, knew about or took advantage about more with SWCDs or how can people get more involved in their own communities?
1: Yeah, the biggest problem that we face is just letting people know that we exist. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I talked about that. I didn't really know. So it's really getting the word out. And um, something that we have struggled with personally is how to communicate with folks. Um, we've recently kind of upped our social media game and so we have a couple different social media accounts now we do youtube and all that we've done some paid advertisements on those platforms and that has been pretty successful but there's still a large portion of the audience that is kind of unplugged and they're not on social media they're not online and then something that we struggle and i'm sure there's pockets across the united states that also struggle with this is um, having reliable internet so there are still quite a few folks in our area that do not have reliable internet. Mm. And for a city girl like me, that is, you know, wow, I, I don't even think about that stuff, <laughs> right. you know. And so we do uh, face some issues there of, of if we have resources or funding, sometimes we have funding for projects. How do we reach those people that could really use it? How do we get a hold of them? And so we do a lot of those site visits. Word of mouth is is how stuff gets around a lot. Flyers. Uh, we communicate with other local organizations, local banks, local farm supply stores, seed dealers, things like that. So we try to really establish ourselves best we can in like the hot spots of the community, so that way we can you know advertise what we have available. So that's the hardest thing, really but it's something that we keep improving and keep pushing towards and slowly but surely people find out who we are.
0: I mean, so this is that phrase of being boots on the ground, like not only out there doing the work, but just literally having to get out there and meet the people that you're serving. So,
1: Mm -hmm. and that's, that's a big, that's a big part of the job. And, a lot of people might think, well, you're just going around and talking to people all day. Is that really work? And it is, and I'm getting paid for it. And it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, visiting, visiting folks, uh, going to lots of different farms and lots of different parks. And uh, we work with Department of Natural Resources as well. So we can go to different state park properties and things like that. So uh, we try to, to reach out as far as we can. But Um, My favorite days are the days that I can be outside chatting with people and doing site visits or doing research. We do some research. I was fortunate enough um, all last year to do a lot of water quality research. So I spent some days in creeks and streams and in rivers and things collecting data that way. So there's a lot going on and um, a lot of grant work as well. So SWCs don't receive a ton of funding. So we do rely heavily on grants and, and that's my, one of my favorite parts too, is, is managing those grants because that money goes directly into conservation. So that's, that's boots on the ground. That's as local yeah. as you can get seeing the funds being put in place in front of you in the form of, you know, a pollinator plot or maybe cover crops or wildlife areas and things like that. So it's pretty cool to see.
0: I love it. I have two quick follow-ups before I, I do want to at least mention some other resources for people, but you mentioned doing the water quality testing. Is that something if somebody was like, I want to get the soil tested in my yard or whatever, is that something that you all will come out and do?
1: For our district, we do not. But if you call your local conservation district, if they don't, they They'll know who does. So Got for it. us, we don't. Um, We do work pretty closely with Purdue Extension, which is kind of a part of Purdue and kind of its own thing. Um, And for our county, they are the ones that do soil testing. Um, And so we do send people their way, but they're great partners of ours and they have a lot of the same, you know, mission um, and drive that we do. So... Um that's something that is a big need in a lot of different counties if they want to have their soil tested. So definitely calling your local conservation district and seeing what services they have. But they should definitely be able to point you in the right direction if you want your soil tested, your water tested. If you have problems with, you know, your septic system, things mm-hmm. like that in your own home. There's there's definitely resources out there for those folks, too, if you're having problems just at your your homestead.
0: Second follow up question. I'm just curious. Do you encounter when you go out there and talk to people? Do you encounter resistance ever? Do you get people that are like, "No, like I don't want to change the way that I'm doing things. I'm not interested in working with you." Do you get a lot of that, or are people pretty amenable?
1: You can get resistance, um, and if I've learned anything in my time doing this, it's it's all about framing and being relatable because you might. Sit down with a person. Yes. You might sit down with a person and they may be the complete opposite of you, but they may want the same end goal. So Mm -hmm. if I meet with a farmer who's having a lot of erosion problems and he's losing yield on his farm, he may want to fix that problem so he can make more money. I want to fix that problem because. His field is eroding into the creek, and Mm -hmm. the creek has excess nutrients. So uh, we may have different viewpoints, but we can solve the problem and and both kind of be happy. So in general, people do not want to be told that what they're doing is wrong or that I'm right and you're wrong, and this is how you should manage your land. People do not like being told what to do with their property.
0: Understandable.
1: So it's really finding common ground with folks and letting them lead and letting them tell you what their issues are, because your goals could overlap and you might not even know it. And if you can't provide the resources, maybe you can find someone that can. And there, of course, are going to be people that are just like, I want nothing to do with you. Being a county government employee, there are folks out there that have, want nothing to do with the government. Yeah. And I work with a lot of federal agencies, and there's probably even more resistance there, because um, there's a lot of different cost share programs and things that the government can help fund. Um, but if you don't want to be involved, you know, with the government, there's that resistance as well. So there's always people that are going to be resistant, but you just provide them with resources and and make sure you're a, a point of contact. And yeah. you, uh, my goal is to always leave on a positive note. And, you know, sometimes they'll utilize what you do and sometimes they won't, but you just do what you can do. Yeah,
0: I think there's a lot of good stuff in there just for any type of difficult conversation in general, environmentally related or beyond. So thanks Mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. And real quick, before we wrap up here, Kristen, we've mentioned a couple of times or alluded to partners that you work with or other resources that people can use. Can you talk just a little bit more about other organizations that you work alongside or what other maybe resources that you think people should be aware of?
1: If you've gotten the vibe that um, we can't do it all, you're correct. And, <laughs> and we we rely heavily on partnerships. And I personally am a big fan of not reinventing the wheel. So there are a lot of environmental organizations out there and partnering it together, you'll get more done. So we absolutely work with lots of different um, county departments. We work with uh, federal government. We work with state government, DNR, Department of Natural Resources. There's a couple different federal agencies that we work with. That NRCS organization is is probably the department we work with the most. And I actually, in addition to all the other things, are, I'm contracted with the federal government to do some of their field work. So that's really oh. fun. Purdue Extension is someone we work with a lot. Purdue, just being the major university here, is who leads that. But depending on what state you're in, you may have a local Extension service. So that's something to look up. Um, so they provide a ton of resources and a ton of education. So definitely um, consider your local Extension service. Lately, we've been working with a lot of community organizations as well. So we've worked with our local library some. We have local little environmental groups. We work with the mayor's office occasionally, lots of different things. We were partnered with our local bank for one of our grant projects. So a lot of different organizations come together to do what we do because it is a big project. But one of the biggest nonprofits we work with is the Nature Conservancy. And they are a great help with grants, especially. So they've got quite a few staff I don't know if they're in all fifty states or not, but they're they work uh, globally, but they're they're pretty big here in the United States, and they're they're a big partner of ours. So, it's hard to get things done by yourself. So yeah. I'm I, I'm definitely on the team player bandwagon. I I want to make sure to get the most done. Um, there's a limited amount of funds for conservation. Conservation isn't cheap, and it's not easy. So, uh, yes, banding together. Um, working with local schools, local universities. We're up for all of it. And, and we've got a lot of different partners that help us with a lot of different projects.
0: Yeah. Well, as you say, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. You know, utilize the partnerships and people who have strengths in one area and can work alongside people who have strengths in another area. Yeah. I, I love it. And I second the. Looking up your local extension university extension offices down here at the University of Florida, and they have some amazing resources. As I take little little tiny baby steps into actually doing some gardening, um, they've had they have amazing resources for that. So definitely second people looking for that as a local resource as well. Chris and I am feeling inspired. Uh, as always, I am very grateful for. Not only what you do, but also for your willingness to talk about it and your help on on the podcast this summer. So thank you for your time and effort, both in your job and for spending time with us. Is there anything that we didn't cover in our chat tonight that you want to say real quick before we
1: get to our wrap up and challenges? Uh, I guess whatever is, is happening in your home, if you're having challenges that you think can relate to anything natural resources, consider some of the, the challenges that we have for you um, because there's resources out there that you might not even know, you know, are free and can be provided to you. So just uh, keep that in mind as we give you some challenges.
0: Awesome. All right. Thanks, Kristen. Stick around, everybody, to get those challenges in just a moment.
1: Welcome back, and thank you guys for listening and sticking with us this long. We do have a couple challenges for you this week. This first one is going to be pretty obvious, and I'm sure you already guessed it. (laughs) But look up your local conservation district, and you say, Kristen, I don't know how to do that. I didn't even know conservation districts existed. Well, now you do. Thank you for listening. (laughs) In the United States, the easiest way to do it is search your state and conservation district. And um, there should be probably quite a few pages that come up. Uh, You may be fortunate enough to have districts in every county. So if you want to attempt your county name in conservation district, that might lead you Mm -hmm. in the right direction. Or there's uh, the amazing feature where you search whatever near me, like pizza near me. You can do conservation district near me as well. And that might yield you the quickest results. So I challenge everyone to explore your local conservation district's website, um, see what services they provide, maybe what their partners are, and see if um, any resources that they have uh, could be utilized by you or maybe someone you know to be a little greener. Love it. So that's a pretty easy challenge for you. Uh, Another option... For folks that want to be more involved politically in your community, I would suggest looking up your county council, your city council, your commissioner meetings, or your board meetings. So a lot of these should be open to the public. Here in Indiana, these are all required to be open to the public. So we have uh, open door law here. So it's required to be open to the public and uh, you can go and, and make comments and things like that. So look up some of these meetings and um, there should be meeting documents available. You can also inquire about these. So that gives you a good look at really, you know, if these agencies are are prioritizing conservation. So looking up the agendas past meeting minutes as well. So you kind of get the vibe of what those meetings are like, but it's good to know then if your local government officials and things are are prioritizing conservation. So I don't know if you guys do this anymore, but early on the podcast, you guys had your challenge and then you had a beast mode. Oh,
0: yeah. Go for it. We do. We I, still do them
1: occasionally. I love the beast mode. So your beast mode challenge is to go to a meeting. Ooh. And this may be very intimidating to some people. So grab a friend yeah. and drag them to the meeting as well. I still sometimes get nervous attending some of these meetings, and I have to do some of these for my job. I just... This last week, uh, went to the county council meeting. It's budget season here in Indiana, and so it's a kind of a stressful time. But I kind of needed to go to that meeting, and and it was very informative and and awesome. But can be intimidating. So something that may be a little less intimidating is something that focuses on your passion. So. If you're very outdoorsy, maybe go to a park district board meeting. If you've got a new park opening near you, you could just go for more information. You don't have to go to voice your opinion. No one's going to require you to stand up and, and talk in a mic or things like that. But that it's a great view. It really is on what's going on in your local community. So beast mode is to go to a county council, a commissioner, park board meeting, soil and water board meeting, kind of take your pick.
0: I love it. And if you are not feeling like you can do this beast mode challenge quite yet, at least like start taking the little steps towards it. Think about what meeting you might want to go to, look look it up, see what you can go to, see what's coming up. You can look at maybe some of those past meeting minutes and kind of try to mentally prepare for what you might see or what it might be like. And then you can keep that beast mode challenge in your back pocket and and work your way up to it because I do. This is definitely something that I personally need to work on. So,
1: and- Something that might be helpful is some of these meetings might have a Zoom option Mm -hmm. still. So during the heart of the pandemic, a lot of these meetings had to be completely virtual. And there are some that are still hybrid in person and have that Zoom option. So that could be kind of the gateway, too, is to just sit in on one of those meetings. And there's also a lot of different virtual events and programmings that some of these folks provide. So maybe your local conservation district is doing a virtual session on backyard gardening. And that could be your entry point. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these could be recorded and you look up past recordings and things like that. So Google is your friend for this episode. <laughs> there are lots of resources out there that are free to you and it'll help you in your conservation journey. Thanks
0: so much, Kristen. I really do feel very inspired right now. So um, I love learning more about the local conservation aspect. So thanks for the chat. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you have any further questions, if you're curious about SWCDs or anything like that, uh, if you have general questions, thoughts, feedback Ideas for future episodes, you can find us all over the place. We are on Facebook, A Little Greener Podcast. We're on Instagram at A Little Greener Pod. We're on Twitter at A Greener Podcast. And you can find our more recent episodes on YouTube, A Little Greener Podcast. And you can find the captions there if that is helpful to you. You can email us at any time, A Little Podcast at gmail.com.
1: We're always happy to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to talk about myself for a while. <laughs> it was a little weird, but um, I thank everyone for listening. And no matter if you're in a rural or an urban setting, like you can all make an impact, positive or negative. And so I, I hope this episode inspires you to look up some local resources. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you in a couple
0: weeks.